Hi, this is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Next week, we will take a short break from David Brainerd. We hope to do some catechism and an episode of Pilgrim's Progress. But within a few days following, we will pick up where we left off with Life of Brainerd. So today, episode 34 of The Life of David Brainerd by Jonathan Edwards. He's uh, listing many remarks on the work of grace that he's been experiencing with the Indians by number. So he begins with number two. Number two, it is remarkable how God providentially and in a manner almost unaccountable called these Indians together to be instructed in the great things that concerned their souls and how he seized their minds with the most solemn and weighty concern for their eternal salvation as fast as they came to the place where his word was preached. When I first came into these parts in June, I found not one man at the place I visited, but only four women and a few children. But before I had been here many days, they gathered from all quarters, some from more than 20 miles. And when I made them a second visit in the beginning of August, some came more than 40 miles to hear me. Many came without any intelligence of what was going on here, and consequently without any design of theirs so much as to gratify their curiosity. Thus it seemed as if God had summoned them together from all quarters for nothing else but to deliver his message to them, and that he did this with regard to some of them without making use of any human means. Although there was pains taken by some of them to give notice to others at remote places. Nor is it less surprising that they were one after another affected with a solemn concern for their souls almost as soon as they came upon the spot where divine truths were taught them. I could not but think often that their coming to the place of our public worship was like Saul and his messengers coming among the prophets. They no sooner came, but they prophesied, and these were almost as soon affected with a sense of their sin and misery, and with an earnest concern for deliverance as they made their appearance in our assembly. After this work of grace began with power among them, it was common for strangers of the Indians, before they had been with us one day to be much awakened, deeply convinced of their sin and misery, and to inquire with great solicitude what they should do to be saved. Number three, it is likewise remarkable how God preserved these poor ignorant Indians from being prejudiced against me and the truths I taught them <clears throat> by those means that were used with them for that purpose by ungodly people. 
There were many attempts made by some ill-minded persons of the white people to prejudice them against or frighten them from Christianity. They sometimes told them that the Indians were well enough already, that there was no need of all this noise about Christianity, that if they were Christians, they would be in no better, no safer or happier state than they were already in. Sometimes they told them that I was a knave, a deceiver, and the like, that I daily taught them lies and had no other design but to impose upon them. When none of these and such like suggestions would avail to their purpose, they then tried another expedient and told the Indians my design was to gather together as large a body of them as I possibly could and sell them to England for slaves. Than which nothing could be more likely to terrify the Indians, they being naturally of a jealous disposition and the most averse to a state of servitude, perhaps of any people living. But all these wicked insinuations through divine goodness overruling constantly turned against the authors of them and only served to engage the affections of the Indians more firmly to me. For they, being awakened to a solemn concern for their souls, could not but observe that the persons who endeavored to embitter their minds against me were altogether unconcerned about their own souls, and not only so, but vicious and profane, and thence could not but argue that if they had no concern for their own, it was not likely they should have for the souls of others. It seems yet the more wonderful that the Indians were preserved from once hearkening to these suggestions inasmuch as I was an utter stranger among them and could give them no assurance of my sincere affection to and concern for them by anything that was past, while the persons who insinuated these things were their old acquaintances who had frequent opportunities of gratifying their thirsty appetites with strong drink and consequently doubtless had the greatest interest in their affections. <clears throat> but from this instance of their preservation from fatal prejudices, I have had occasion with admiration to say, if God will work, who can hinder? Number four, nor is it less wonderful how God was pleased to provide a remedy for my want of skill and freedom in the English lang Indian language by remarkably fitting my interpreter for and assisting him in the performance of his work. It might reasonably be supposed I must needs labor under a vast disadvantage in addressing the Indians by an interpreter and that divine truths would undoubtedly lose much of the 
energy and pathos which they might at first be delivered by reason of their coming to the audience from a second hand. But although this has often, to my sorrow and discouragement, been the case in times past, when my interpreter had little or no sense of divine things, yet now it was quite otherwise. I cannot think my addresses to the Indians ordinarily, since the beginning of this season of grace, have lost anything of the power or pungency with which they were made, unless it were sometimes for want of pertinent and pathetic terms and expressions in the Indian language, which difficulty could not have been much redressed by my personal acquaintance with their language. My interpreter had before gained some good degree of doctrinal knowledge, whereby he was rendered capable of understanding and communicating, without mistakes, the intent and meaning of my discourses, and that without being confined strictly and obliged to interpret verbatim. He had likewise to appearance an experimental acquaintance with divine things, and it pleased God at this season to inspire his mind with longing desires for the conversion of the Indians and to give him admirable zeal and fervency in addressing them in order thereto. It is remarkable that when I was favored with any special assistance in any work and enabled to speak with more than common freedom, fervency, and power, under a lively and affecting sense of divine things, he was usually affected in the same manner, almost instantly, and seemed at once quickened and enabled to speak in the same pathetic language and under the same influence that I did. A surprising energy often accompanied the word at such seasons so that the face of the whole assembly would be apparently changed almost in an instant and tears and sobs become common among them. He also appeared to have such a clear doctrinal view of God's usual methods of dealing with souls under a preparatory work of conviction and humiliation as he never had before, so that I could, with his help, discourse freely with the distressed persons about their internal exercises, their fears, discouragements, temptations, etc. <clears throat> he likewise took pains, day and night, to repeat and inculcate upon the minds of the Indians the truths which I taught them daily. And this he appeared to do, not from spiritual pride and an affectation of setting himself up as a public teacher, but from a spirit of faithfulness and an honest concern for their souls. His conversation among the Indians has likewise, as far as I know, been savory as becomes a Christian. 
and a person employed in his work. And I may justly say, he has been a great comfort to me and a great instrument of promoting this good work among the Indians, so that whatever be the state of his own soul, it is apparent God has remarkably fitted him for this work. Thus, God has manifested that, without bestowing on me the gift of tongues, he could find a way wherein I might be as effectually enabled to convey the truths of his glorious gospel to the minds of these poor, benighted pagans. This concludes episode 34 of Jonathan Edwards' The Life of David Brainerd. 